the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so salvation comes by the word of God. That's why Peter says you were born again and you, and you became born again. You became saved because the word of God penetrated your heart. You believed what God said. You accepted his truth by faith and you got saved here. So now live it because he adds the word of God lives and abides forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. The Bible is not a collection of old myths and stories. The Bible is God's heart and is alive. It transforms you when you follow what it says. The Word of God will penetrate your heart. You believe what He says, you accept His truth by faith, And you ask Christ to lead your new life. Okay, so if I know that the Bible is alive and is God's communication to me, how do I let it change me? Today, Pastor Gary teaches that God's Word can and will change us if we simply read and obey what it says. Even listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection will change you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. That God gave His Son to die on a cross, shedding his blood as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, that should motivate us. If we keep that in mind, oh, what an extent that God went to, what a great extent that God went to, to redeem us, to save us from our sins. Oh, that our savior would shed his blood to die on a cross for us. I should live in a right way to please him. That's what he's saying here. You want some motivation for holy living? Consider the sacrifice of Christ, what God did on our behalf to redeem us from our sins. And then he adds this this interesting thing here. This This is a little bit of a mind bender, but verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Okay, in other words, the whole sacrifice of Christ was not an afterthought that God just came up with. It was a forethought revealed at the right time. That he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, in other words, revealed at the right time, 
who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, here's the reason why this is a bit of a mind bender, because, you know, here Christ was sacrificed on a cross roughly the year 32 AD. And yet Peter's saying here, but this was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, John would write something similar in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. And John would say this, that he saw the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Wait, I thought he was slain in 32 AD. He was slain from the foundation of the world. And Peter writes here in a similar way, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This is where quantum mechanics and the theory of relativity are still something that scientists today are trying to harmonize. Because Einstein's theory of relativity basically said that time is malleable. And this is where it gets, you know, head games. Like, when was Christ sacrificed? Because the Bible indicates that his sacrifice was not just a forethought, but it happened before the foundation of the world. Now, Einstein, in his theory of relativity and his whole discussion about how time is malleable, he said that if, if we could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, time ceases to be. That if you could travel at the speed of light, and isn't interesting that scripture says God is light and in him there is no darkness. See, God is outside of time and space. So he's not restricted by time. The whole idea of time we're restricted by because we're within the time-space continuum. God's outside of it. So when Einstein starts talking about if you could travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, time ceases to be, there's this malleable aspect of time that is somewhat foreign to us, but yet exists outside of our continuum. A lot of smart people understand it a whole lot better than I do. All I'm telling you is that what it means is that the whole plan of redemption and even the sacrifice of Christ is something that we may not fully be able to appreciate this side of heaven until one day all things are made clear to us because Scripture seems to indicate that even though we mark his crucifixion at a certain time within the continuum, in God's um, perspective of time, it's outside that continuum. So um, interesting stuff for those of you who like uh, you know, quantum physics and and, uh, and, and quantum mechanics and all of that kind of stuff. But um, the, the sacrifice of Christ um, before the foundation of the world. So do with that what you want. All right. Verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, with a pure heart, underline that, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. All right, now he's going to give us two more um, ways that holy living will be evident. And um, the first one is in the first part of verse 22, which I actually want to save to point number three, where he talks about obeying the truth, because he goes on to talk more about that. But in the second part of verse 22, he says, in sincere love of the brethren, 
love one another fervently with a pure heart. So that's number two on our list. Uh, one of the ways that, uh, that you will uh, recognize holy living in the life of a believer is his or hers sincere love for one another. You see, you, you can't really be walking in holiness before the Lord without sincere love one for another. And so this is what he calls us to. We should demonstrate the love of the Lord if we are really walking in holiness. Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. By this will all people, all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So he calls us to love one another. And he says, in sincere love of the brethren, that's the Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love. And then he adds, love one another fervently. Now that's agapeo, that's agape love. That's the highest supreme kind of love. We're loving each other in the love of Christ fervently, fervently, he says, with a pure heart, having been born again. Now that whole idea there in verse 23, born again, that whole idea, that phrase born again, first appears to us in the Gospels in, in John chapter 3. Remember the conversation when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and, you know, and he, he doesn't understand you know, everything that Jesus is saying. And Jesus turns to him and, and he says, unless a man is born again, he cannot uh, see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus is like, how can a man be born again? How can he go back in his mother's womb and be born again? And, and Jesus goes on to talk about uh, being born of, of water and being born of spirit. So he's, he, he distinguishes between physical birth when, when uh, the water breaks and a baby's born and being born of the spirit, which is something that happens by faith. So there's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. That's what the Bible means by being born again. That's the spiritual birth. We all experience, we're all here because we've experienced birth number one. We've all been born. But to be born again is to experience a spiritual birth, which comes by putting our faith in Christ. And when we do that, then we are born again. And so we need to experience that second birth in order to go to heaven. We need to be born again. We need to surrender our lives to Jesus. We need to accept what he's done for us on a cross by faith, believing that he loved us, died for our sins on a cross. When we put our faith and trust in him, we are born again. And Peter adds here, not of corruptible seed, not of human seed, but incorruptible seed, that we're born again, and he adds through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So now, this is the third thing he talks about here, the word of God, and he's going to use that phrase often, but that's, that connects verse 22 when he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit. So now he's going to talk about truth, he's going to talk about the word of God, and when you combine everything he's saying here, point number three is that holy living is also marked by our obedience to the word of God. Because he, he's now going to emphasize this. He says, all right, you've been born again. You put your trust in Christ. You've experienced a second birth. Now you have to obey what he says. You have to obey the word of God. Obeying the truth, verse 22. Being born again, verse 23, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You know, it's interesting, the writer of Hebrews, might have been Paul, we don't know for sure, but in Hebrews 4.12, he talked about how the Word of God was living and active, and IV says, living and powerful, New King James says. And Peter says also that the Word of God lives, it's living, 
in, in verse 23. It's living. In other words, the Bible is not a collection of a bunch of old stories and myths. The Bible is a collection of God's heart that is alive and transforms us when we accept by faith what he tells us in his word. What does Paul write in, in Romans chapter uh, 10, uh, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so salvation comes by the word of God. That's why Peter says you were born again and you, and you became born again. You became saved because the word of God penetrated your heart. You believed what God said. You accepted his truth by faith and you got saved here. So now live it because he adds the word of God lives and abides forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, okay? But this present heaven and this present earth will pass away long before the word of God ever passes away because God's word is eternal. And so it lives and abides forever because, now he's going to, Peter's going to quote from the book of Isaiah, because all flesh is as grass. He's talking about the human condition. We're all going to die one day, just grass, you know, dies. All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. So, you know, human life is temporary and certainly human glory is temporary. It's all going to fall away. That's why we need to be born again so that we can go to be with him forever. But Verse 25, the word of the Lord endures forever. So it's, it's all the word of God, the word of the Lord. He keeps saying it in the next verse. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The same theme goes into chapter 2 because chapter and verses are only man's little delineation to help us read through the text. But the same theme continues. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking, evil speaking, ESV and NIV says slander. It it doesn't mean like necessarily, you know, cussing, although that's not good, but it's talking more about, um, I read one commentary that said spicy talk, (laughs) spicy talk, get rid of spicy talk, Um, slander, that kind of stuff. He says, get get rid of all this stuff. Verse two, as newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the word. So again, it's all this about the word that you may grow thereby. Uh, So now he's not saying, you know, stay little babies and don't ever grow up in your faith. He's just saying like newborn babies instinctively crave his or her mother's milk. We as Christians should crave the word of God. It should be something that we have an appetite for, just this constant appetite for, because when we feed on the word of God, we will grow thereby. So before I read verse three, let me just tie together what he's been saying here about the word of God in this. He's saying that the word of God, which is basically the Bible, we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about the word of God. He says it brings salvation. That's the first part of verse 23, having been born back in chapter one, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. Again, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing 
by the word of God. And then he tells us the word of God lives forever. We talked about that. And then he's going to also add here in chapter 2, verse 2, that the word of God produces spiritual growth. That's why he says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So as we get God's word into our hearts, as we feed on it, it will help us to mature. That's just the way it works. You read the Bible, you grow in your faith. You read the Bible more, you grow in your faith more. If, verse 3, back in chapter 2, verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. David would write in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's just language that means experience the Lord. Taste and see. Taste that the Lord is gracious. So the word of God, very important. We know that these things are true about the word of God. It brings salvation to people who hear it and respond by faith. The word of God is is forever true, and so we should build our lives on it. And it produces spiritual growth. It brings us on to maturity when we get it into our hearts and we do what it says. You know, Paul would say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, he, he reminds Timothy, he says, you remember as a child, how you have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he says, coming to him, As to a living stone, rejected indeed by men. Now, he's talking about Christ here, how we come to Christ, we come to him as like a living stone. I'll explain what he's, the typology here. Rejected indeed by men, Jesus was, right? Rejected by men, nailed to a cross. But chosen by God and precious, here's this word again, he loves this word, timios. You also, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, there's the word again, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. So Peter's writing here, and he's using imagery, And he says, listen, the church is like a spiritual house where um, we are like living stones, like little stones, like like bricks in, in, in in the building. And the whole building rises off of the foundation that's been laid, which is the cornerstone, which is Christ. So he says, you know, we come to Christ who is the living stone, the ultimate stone. He's the cornerstone. That's the word there used in in verse six. He is the cornerstone. He is the one upon whom the church is built off of. Because you lay the cornerstone first, and then the whole building takes shape based on the foundational cornerstone. So Peter's saying, we're we're like a spiritual house. We're all to be, you know, living our lives together with unity and purpose for the cause of the kingdom, built off of Christ as the cornerstone And I love the way verse 6 ends there because he says, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. I love this about the ministry of our Lord because when you come to Jesus, when you have that literal come to Jesus moment, the beautiful thing among many things that could be said about coming to faith in Jesus Christ is that he won't put you to shame. Our Lord will not put 
remind us of our past. He will not shame us, but he will love us, forgive us, accept us, and receive us. When you look at the wonderful ministry of Jesus throughout the Gospels, there was always the most tender side of our Lord expressed to people who had lived shameful, sinful lives. You know when Jesus was the most perturbed and righteously indignant was all the religious leaders who knew better but were hypocritical. But you look at the people who were broken, sinful, ashamed, and Jesus received them with the most compassion and tenderness. You know, I think often about the story of like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And the the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And how the, these, were, these were broken women. These were, these were, you know, women who had been, you know, emotionally and spiritually and physically just um, distraught. And so you have, for example, in John chapter 8, you know, this woman caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus. Can you imagine the humiliation, the shame? She's caught in the act of adultery. Why they didn't bring the guy to is... She, kind of an indication that this whole thing was a setup, but regardless, right, they're, sh- they're shaming this woman. They, they are bringing her in front of Jesus, and he doesn't shame her. He forgives her. This is when Jesus bends down and writes in the dirt with his finger, and, and then he challenges all the guys ready to stone this woman. He who is without sin, why don't you go ahead and cast the first stone? And then the Bible says that the men peeled away the older ones first. You know why, right? Because the older you lived, the longer you lived, the older you are, the more history you have of shameful, sinful things you've done yourself. So they, they peel off first, and the younger ones eventually are like, yeah, we've done a few bad things too. And then they're all gone, and then Jesus looks at this woman, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Nowhere. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he just loved her. I just love the way that our Lord just receives us and forgives us. Now, he, he didn't just say, where are your condemners, you know, go. He also added, sin no more. It's this beautiful balance of grace and truth. But there's no shame with Jesus. There's no shame with Jesus. And when we get to stand before him, if you've already received him as your savior, he's not going to be you know, like, like reminding you, well, this is a good day for you, isn't it? Because let me remind you of all the things you did. You know, and, I, and, I, and I've told you this before. I grew up in a church where I, maybe it was just my ignorance, but I thought, I thought that the day I stay before Jesus, there's going to be this huge jumbotron and they're going to be replaying everything I've ever done I don't know, that's just what I believe. Did anybody else believe that's what's going to happen? Yeah, some of you do. Some of you people walking around in guilt and shame. You know, they're like, great, that's going to be a great day, isn't it? To stand in front of everybody and Jesus is going to replay your sins on a great big jumbotron in heaven. That isn't the way it's going to go down. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Behold, I've made all things new. And so no shame, no condemnation just the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh,
your new life. That's all for today's look into the book of 1 Peter on Cornerstone Connection. This New Testament letter is a reminder that persecution comes to every follower of Jesus, even now. Peter encourages his readers to keep strong in faith in those times of trial and even challenges you to turn your complaints into time spent with Jesus. Take all that's hurting you to the throne and let your Savior deal with it and let Him give you the strength you need to tackle the tough questions. Speaking gospel truth in love to everyone. We're so glad you tuned in for Pastor Gary's teaching today. We'd like to meet you. If you're in the Leesburg area, please consider yourself invited to visit us at Cornerstone Chapel this Sunday morning at 8.30, 10, or 11.45. We'll spend time in worship and digging into the Bible, and you'll meet more of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be sure to let us know you're a Cornerstone Connection listener. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find links to our social media pages and a library of Pastor Gary's messages. We even have a mobile app. This will allow you to take scriptural teaching with you wherever you go. That website, one more time, is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us next time for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know But still you know You're not